invite you all to stand to your feet this morning. to God today. We're going to pray. We're ready. We're just going to pray right now. We're oh God, ready. God, just shift our hearts. We're ready. Just shift We're our minds. We're ready. Jesus, we worship We're you. God, right now, every barrier, every mindset, everything that is causing us, Lord God, to think of ourselves in the name of Jesus, let them crumble. Right now, Lord God, across this house, I pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Holy Spirit, we position ourselves to receive from your fire this morning very love of the heart of God, the passion of the Father that would send His one and only Son to come and to die for us. Holy Spirit, shift, shift this place today. seats. Thanks, guys. That's awesome. There's something in the atmosphere today, and I say that because today is Pentecost Sunday. So we're ready because... God's been building for this day for a long time in our hearts. And I just believe that God wants to shift something in your life today. So this might be a little bit unconventional, but that's all right. God's got will, it will be done. There's something about that song that every time I listen to it, every time I, I think about what God's doing here in our life and in our midst as a church. There's just something about the fire of God that's moving right here, right now. You've been following us for a little while. We've been working through this series called Holy Spirit. And today culminates this series with the very word fire. Are you ready? You see, God's fire is all-consuming. His fire represents His love for you and I. His fire was poured out in the fullness of Jesus Christ, giving every drop of his blood for you. And even more so was given in the promise 
of the Holy Spirit who was to come. We're going to look at a couple of stories about this fire of God. And hopefully within that, God's going to do something in your life. I've got no idea what God wants to do for you, but you do. Every one of you knows that God needs to shift something in your life because we have put things before God in every area of our life. I'm guilty of it, and I know I'm speaking to people who want more of God. Is this true or not? Do you want more of God? Do you want God to do something in your life that would totally radically transform you like it did those 11 apostles, like it did the 120 in that upper room on that day that his fire fell? You see, the fire of God wants to fall in, a lo- in your life, but it's not for you. The fire of God wants to consume all that is you so that you would step into the fullness of His promise to see this world come to His kingdom. The fire of God is all-consuming because God Himself is all-consuming. The very images of Jesus in the revelation of John is that his eyes would burn like fire. That his feet were burnished bronze, as in ones that had been tested in the fire. The images of Jesus was thrashes of lightning and thunder around him on the throne. The, The very person of Jesus is not the little baby that we see in the story of Christmas. But he's a resurrected, risen king. So the fire of Jesus represents something for us today. We've looked at four other weeks looking at the Holy Spirit. We've looked at the Holy Spirit water. Representing that we are a vessel that he wants to fill. We've looked at the Spirit wind representing that He guides us as He guides the wind. Who knows the wind doesn't go anywhere? It just, we don't know where it comes or where it goes. That's who God's called us to be as He leads us in the Spirit. We've got to break this mentality that everything's got to be in control the way we like it. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to be in control. Yesterday, we were doing phone books and I was delivering in an area that we did last year and I was just walking around and my wife was sitting over the other side of the road in the car waiting for me and she ended up waiting for me for a long time because the Holy Spirit led me to a house. A guy was getting onto his push bike and I said, how you going, man? I gave him his phone book and I said, what's going on in your life? And he said, you know what? My calf, I can't run. He's getting on his bike. He said, I can't run, so I'm going to go for a ride on my bike. I play soccer. I've got, an old, I've got a soccer injury. I'm 47 or 49 or something like that, and, and I sh- I'm playing in the over 35s. And, and, you know, I said, you know, you probably know Pastor Rodney. And he goes, no, I know his brother Jeff. And, um, and, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just said, pray for him. So I did. I don't know what happened. I know I prayed for him. I know I laid hands on his leg, and I know that he allowed me to do so, which was a miracle in itself. He's like, you're going to pray for me when you're walking around. I said, yeah, I'll do that, but I'm going to pray for you right here, right now, if you let me lay my hands on you. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to lead us in the same way. He doesn't want us to be in control. I had phone books I had to deliver, but I had to make myself available to His wind. Amen? The oil of the Holy Spirit speaks of the anointing of the vessel. Every one of us, when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but even more so when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are anointed for a purpose. Can you say, I am anointed for a purpose? 
See, God's anointing does not change. You look at the story of David, the king. He was anointed king. The, the prophet Samuel comes and he pours the oil over him, anointing him. His call to be king did not change. Your call to be a representation of Jesus Christ here and now is the same as it was 2,000 years ago when the Spirit of God was poured out in its fullness for the first time. And then last two weeks ago, we looked at Holy Spirit's dove and the completing, the conforming of the vessel as Jesus himself submitted himself to the waters of baptism, the God, that God the Father would speak assurance over him. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Confirmation over him. Completion over him as the Spirit of God reunited with the Son of God. Today we get to look at this sense of the Holy Spirit fire. Are you ready? Are you ready to have your lives turned upside down? And it's not going to be by anything that I say, but it's going to be by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, you've got to want this. There's no point me preaching it if you don't want it. I say that again. There's no point me preaching it if you don't want it. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. This was Jesus with his disciples before he ascended. He waiting with them and he says, you need to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you heard from me from. Uh, for John baptized with what in, with, where am I here? I've lost myself. It's on the back, that's why. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he says, here comes the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with something far greater. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The fire of God is the love of God that will set you free. And you can feel it today if only you would open your heart to the fire of God. You see, he wants to consume all that is you. All that you think you've done, all that you think you've achieved, all the wrong that you think that you have made, he wants to consume it in one foul swoop so it no longer hinders you again. The love of God is poured out upon all flesh. 
His name is Jesus, but he goes back to the Father so that he can send one like him. His name is the Parakletos. His name is the Counselor. His name is the Comforter. His name is the Advocate. His name is Holy Spirit, and his name is Fire. And he wants to be poured out and consume you today. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, you see, you've got to read through the book of Acts, and you've got to read it with an open mind. You've got to see it. For what it is, it is actually the acts of the Holy Spirit through his apostles, his church. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Thank God we're all together in one place today. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is what Jesus paid for. He paid for your sins upon the cross. He rose to conquer death and he ascended so that he could send the Holy Spirit to fill you with purpose to overcome. It is the grace of God in your life that he wants to give you. He wants to take away your works, trying to do everything right, trying to do everything according to what you think is right, and He wants to grace you to be able to achieve it. We, look, we said that it was today was Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost from the term meaning 50 or 50 weeks we would look at it as. 50 days, sorry. The seven weeks of the, or seven Sabbaths and one, which gives us eight Saturdays of seven weeks, 50 days, because seven times seven is 49 plus one is 50. Is that right? It is linked to the Feast of Weeks. It is linked to the harvest. Pentecost is not about you and me. It is about you and me getting ready and active to take in that which is ripe. The Holy Spirit's not a make-me-feel-good party. It is an activate-me-in-the-kingdom party. It is an activate-me, give me the tools that I need so that I can go out and bring in the lost. It is the, the power of God to be able to penetrate any argument that is coming against the, the truth of the gospel. It is to divert around the very things that we would get caught in and say, I don't know about that, so we would quiver and we see that very much in the, the, the life of Peter. When you look at Peter, who three times denied the Christ just before he was hung on that cross. After saying, I'm going to go to the cross with you. I am so committed to follow you. Many of us are in that place. God, I'm committed to following you. But when it comes to being able to talk about Jesus, I'm as guilty as one. We cower and we don't share the love of God with people. What is it? Peter needed the fire of God in his life. He needed the Holy Spirit to set him free. He needed the Holy Spirit to, to show him that Jesus' forgiveness is all-encompassing. It's the interesting season of the harvest. 
Who's busy at the moment? Put your hand up if you're busy at the moment. You got a lot on? Come on, be honest. We know you're busy. You don't have to lie. We're all busy, okay? We've all got things that are pulling at us at time. No matter how busy the farmer gets, when harvest comes, he's ready for it. No matter how busy the farmer thinks he is in preparing for harvest, the moment it comes, there's 16, 18-hour days. You go and talk to a grape grower. They've just had vintage. You go and talk to them. You go and talk to the cotton growers at the moment. They're harvesting their cotton. When harvest comes, it is the busiest time of our life. We are in the church age of harvest people. The last 2,000 years that we've been living in is harvest. It is not comfort zone. Australian church will keep us thinking that we've got to live for comfort. It's not about comfort. It's about the gospel of Jesus going forth. Now is the busiest time of our lives. And if we allow the devil to tell us that we're too busy to share the gospel, then he's won already. He's won you out of the race. Today is Pentecost Sunday. This feast of the Hebrew people, it links back to a particular feast that God instituted or a particular time and story within the Old Testament that speaks to us and gives us an undertaking or an understanding of what Pentecost really is for us. Because let's just debunk some of the myths today, yeah? I see Pentecost as something that brings closure in the sense of who am I? Pentecost brings a sense of cleansing to the people of God, especially the church of God. Pentecost brings a consuming fire with it that consumes us and shows us that we're called into what God is, is consuming God's heart. And lastly, I see the Pentecost outpouring is about cooperating, cooperating with God. There's four C's there. It's about closure. It's about cleansing. It's about consuming. And it's about cooperating. This, this story links back to the time when all of Israel being led out after, after the Passover that Micah referred to was led out to Mount Sinai by God himself. When we look at Mount Sinai, we find that we find in Exodus chapter 19 and 20 that the people are standing before this mountain, all consumed by God, and God delivers to them the Ten Commandments. Do we know the story? The Ten Commandments, we teach them or we've been taught them as a law. And it's in this time that God delivers to them these very truths. I want to say this first and foremost. When God led these people to the mountain of Sinai. First of all, these people were chosen to be covenant people of God. Is that true? They were to be in a relationship with Him that was based upon His covenant. Yet they were not long outside of a life of bondage, were they? No? The Bible actually tells us that they were 430 years in Egypt, which means for about 400 of those years, they were in slavery. Have you ever thought what it would be like as a people group to be in bondage and slavery? 
as an entire nation being trapped in bondage and slavery. Your only purpose in your day was to get up and make bricks. And for 12 hours a day, you would go and you would make bricks. And then you would come home when it was dark and you would try and prepare your family a meal. Sounds a little bit like life today, doesn't it? Kind of trapped in our work. We've had nations that have been um, hindered uh, by, by regimes and all sorts of things. We know what it's like in our world today to see nations come under this kind of affliction, but nothing to the extent the Israelite people were in Egypt. These were people who did not know their left from their right. They had no education. They, they, knew, they knew how to cook food and make bricks. They knew how to sleep and to keep their infants and that clean. They knew that they were in a relationship somehow, some way with the God of Abraham, but he was a distant God in their thinking, crowded out by the gods of Egypt. Up until Moses' time, they actually got Saturdays off so they could worship. Moses comes along and they double their workload, double their increase, and they've got to work all their weekends. Their rights are completely gone. They are slaves. They know nothing of goodness. Their only goodness that they would know is the birth of their children. But even that would come with a pain because they're bearing children into a place where they're slaves. Could you imagine the pain of a mother when she gives birth to a child? The joy that she would have. It's a boy. Oh, dear. This child is destined for a work to work until they are dead. Like, this is the kind of people this nation were. And God brings them by the hand of Moses. He leads them to Sinai. And God consuming this mountain. You see, the Bible says that God was present and the top of the mountain was consumed. It was, the top of the mountain was, was um, a fearful thing. Let me say it that way. The people were scared, weren't they? You can read this story yourself in Exodus 19 and 20. But Exodus chapter 20 and verse 18 says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking... Hawaii is sort of erupting at the moment, isn't it? Would you go to Hawaii at the moment? I said to Sarah the other day, I'd love to go and have a bit of a look. Fly into Hawaii and just go and have a look and then get out of there. But most people would say, no, they don't want to go to Hawaii at the moment because it's dangerous. This is like Mount Sinai. It was smoking. There was thunder and lightning. There was the sound of the trumpet. When the ram's horn is being blown, the chauffeur, it's not the best sound in the world, is it? When you add to it all of the stuff that's happening. It continued, The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Hmm. God's invitation to these people was that they would come up and individually be in relationship with him. God had to bring about a change to the way he wanted to work through his nation, Israel. In a, way, in a sense, a secondary way of relating to them. And he, cho- he had to do it because they forced 
Moses to stand in the gap so that he would bring about what God says to them. We can study this all out and, and, and look at it, but there's some truths in here that I just want to pull out really quickly for us. The actual Hebrew word interpreted as thunder or thunderings is actually the word, and this might make some of you fall off your seat, it is the word translated for many voices. I want to start to build a picture here of you of why Pentecost was performed or was outpoured the way Pentecost was in the time of the apostles. That word, thunder, is actually translated many voices. At Sinai, the people saw lightning. They saw the fire of God. They saw it consuming the mountain, and within it, they saw the power of God and the power around God in the sense of the lightning. They heard the sound of the trumpet call, the very first trumpet call, I would say. We've got a couple more to go. We're going home. They, they saw the smoke. They possibly even heard the wind. But what they definitely heard was many voices. It wasn't the thunder that we think of in the sense of thunder and lightning. It was the thunderings of God's voice that they heard. And God's voice came to them in many languages. It was a scary sight, let me tell you. Jewish tradition actually believes this. They teach this amongst their, their rabbis and through to their people. Rabbi, um, they actually believe that God spoke in many languages, if not all the languages of the world, in that one moment. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan said this, he said, When God's voice came forth at Mount Sinai, it divided itself into 70 human languages so that the whole world may understand it. All at Sinai, young and old, women, children and infants, according to their ability to understand, heard God speak to them. Fast forward to the day of Pentecost. And what did we see? Acts 2, chapter 1, we read it earlier. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. You can almost think that that was like the trumpet sound. The mighty rushing wind of heaven. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them. That's the same word if you take it back to the Hebrew. It's the same word, many voices, the thunderings of God, the tongues of fire. The, the biblical interpreters can only interpret it as tongues of fire, whereas in the, in the Hebrew, it was interpreted as thunder. It's the same thing. The same thing that happened at, Pente at Sinai happens at Pentecost, and we see two very different results. In the first story, we see the covenant written on tablets made of stone. And yet, the people were so terrified of the presence of God that they withdrew. They withdrew to the point, and you've got to understand, Moses, they sent Moses up the mountain. Moses had to go for them. Could you imagine the fear that he would have had approaching God in that mountain? 
he's approaching for about 2 million people. These people withdrew from God to the point they returned to their camps. And when Moses was gone for a long time, 40 days Moses was gone. I reckon for 39 of those days he was on his face. Um, but these people started to get, you've got to remember, they didn't know what they were doing. Their, their example of God was formed in Egypt where they worshipped many images made after animals. The very first thing they say is to Aaron, Moses' left-hand man, they say to Aaron, make for us a God that we could worship because Moses has been consumed. They think he's been consumed by this fire. Make for us an image. And Aaron comes up with this really great idea that he tells Moses later on, which we know didn't happen this way. He, he kind of tells Moses that they gathered all the gold, they threw it in the fire, and poof, out came this golden calf. The people started to worship that calf. And idolatry crept into the covenant people of God in the moment. It's really interesting that the people, when they withdrew from God, they stepped into idolatry. And that's a, something for us to remember today. The moment we withdraw from God, the moment God calls us forward and we take a step back, we're stepping back into idolatry, the same as the covenant people of God did at Sinai. God might be saying to you this morning, you need to go to church more often. And you go, no, nah, no, nah, God, I'm all right. I got it okay. I'm okay. I'm, once a month's good enough. You step back and you step back into this comfort zone of idolatry because you put yourself over God. God might be saying you need to go and give some money to a particular family, for example. And all of a sudden you go, no, 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 I need that this week. You step back. Every time God asks us to step forward into something and we step back, we step into idolatry. That is what this lesson teaches us from, from Sinai. Okay? So we've got to understand that's one thing. There's so much in this story, and I can't do it all now. John chapter 14 and verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Those of you filled with the Holy Spirit, reflect on this question. When you were filled with the Holy Spirit, did the Word come alive to you? Did it start making sense to you? See, God started to speak to you and you started to understand it. And He started to draw you out. And He, he started to make you separated. He sanctified you as set-apart people for Him. That's the power of the fire of God. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit, to be a covenant lawyer for you on your behalf. Within the story of Pentecost, we see the outpouring of God's promised gift, another helper, as he puts it. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And, though, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor 
and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. You see, God's already done this. He's paid the price with Jesus Christ. And there is a day to come when all of us will be able to say we know God. But until then, we've got a job to do. Until then, it's called sharing the gospel so that those who don't know what Jesus has done would come into the saving grace of God. Look at the Ten Commandments for a minute. I'll just take a back step really quickly. The Ten Commandments. What do you think the purpose of the Ten Commandments are in the story of Sinai? See, in the story of the New Testament, we understand that the Ten Commandments are a schoolmaster to show us that we cannot match it with God's standard. It's holy. But for these people who didn't know God, these people who were unrighteous, were slaves, were in bondage all of their life and knew nothing but what they knew, these people, the Ten Commandments meant something more to them than what we give it credit for today. They were people chosen to be a, God, uh, a covenant people in relationship with God. They knew no life outside of bondage. But God offered to them something special. The story of Sinai, if we look at it in the Hebrew, and I won't go into all of it, there's five Hebrew words that are used throughout the entire story of Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20. Those five Hebrew words are related to a very special covenant. It's called the covenant of marriage. The middle one of these words is the word ketubah. That's the Hebrew word is ketubah. The, the ketubah was a list of requirements. It was, like the, it was like the promises of God for the people. The ketubah was the covenant that was made and it was meant to be restrictive and not freeing. When a man approaches the woman... And they go through the processes of their five processes. When they get to the ketubah, it's like the promise being made to, this, to the bride. It's almost like we give the engagement ring today. And this is where Pentecost becomes so special for us. You see, of all the ladies in the house, when the man got down on his knee or however he did it, he might have got horse and carriage, however it was, when, it, when the man did what he did and asked you to be his wife and he gave you that ring, how special did you feel? You see, the, 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 the promise of Sinai is supposed to be this invitation for the entire family of God to be wooed by the promises of God and sealed with the engagement ring as his bride-to-be. When we look at Sinai, the ketubah is the Ten Commandments and they're actually the way that God expected a nation who knew no better to be. Because when you look at it, thou shalt not kill. For a nation that only knew death by violence, that only knew that if they didn't make brick, they were going to be flogged to the point that they would die. For you to say that you shall respect your neighbor and not kill them, that is freeing. That their life is now safe because in this nation we shouldn't kill people. It's not meant to be a restrictive law. It's meant to be a purpose being called up to who God expects them to be. 
That's what the ketubah was for. When we see it in Pentecost and the fire of God, what we actually see is 120 people in the upper room, men and women. I would even say there's probably children up there, but they're not counted. There are people in that upper room, 120 people, who are earnestly in one spirit praying to God and desiring the outpouring of what Jesus promised. They had no idea what it was. And like the people at Sinai, they had no idea what the ketubah was, although God used... They knew what the ketubah was. They knew what it was to be married. They knew when God said to them, this is my covenant, this is my ketubah, they knew straight away that they were going to be in a promised relationship with God. They knew that. So when these people, 120, are in the upper room and they're pouring out to God in unity, what are they asking for? They are asking for to be a covenant people after what Jeremiah 31 promises, that I will write my laws and my statutes upon your heart. You will be my people. I will be your God. It is the renewing of the covenant, and they know that it was paid for in Jesus. So they know there's something coming, and that something is the ketubah of God. The Holy Spirit, the fire of God, is your ketubah today. He is the promise of God that He will not forsake you. He is the promise of God that He will not leave you. He is the promise of God that He will fulfill His entire work for you. He is the promise of God that if you would only surrender your life to Him as one bride to her husband or groom-to-be, as you would surrender your life to Him, then there would be nothing that would go wrong in a kingdom perspective. And I'm not talking about this life. I am talking about the life which is called eternity. We're going to spend a lot of time in the next six weeks looking at eternity. I am talking about not the very blip on the radar that is your life. I am talking about your entire life will go well. And that's what the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you today. You see, the fire of God is caused to cleanse us for God. Where these people stepped back in the mountain, from the mountain, and they made for themselves an, an idol. Do you know who their punishment was? I'm going to invite the keys to come back for me, Nadi. These people who defiled the promises of God in this way, when Moses came down and found what they were doing, and this calf, they you've got to look into the story. Aaron's trying to stall them as long as he possibly can, waiting and giving as much time for, for Moses to get back as he can. These people are saying, no, no, no. When you've got a couple of million people saying you build a God for us, you know that there's only so long you can stall. In the middle of all of this, this, car, this golden calf is fashioned to the point that they all had to give their nose rings for it, golden nose rings and earrings for it. So it cost them something. This calf that was fashioned out of pure gold, Moses, they pulverize it into dust. This gold is pulverized into dust. And it was like Brett was saying last week, what actually happened was that it went into the water and they had to drink the water and a curse came upon them. The curse of idolatry, it it brought this sense that it was to purge the nation and 3,000 men died that day because of the curse that came upon them because they drank the idol that they formed from gold. The Holy Bible tells us that Jesus became our curse. Did it not? Does it not? That cursed is he who hangs upon a tree. 
is what the Bible actually says. And it also says that He became that curse for us so that we should not be cursed. It's in reference to this, that in idolatry we should not be cursed because we're forgiven of that sin. And God to prove it in the very special way. How God proved it on that day was with His consuming fire of Pentecost fire. Because the very result of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon 120 people is that they filled the earth, or they filled the city, sorry, with people overflowing as they spoke in other languages. You might get confused. You might think as Pentecostal church, we're always talking about tongues. It's not just about our prayer language I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the fire of God which will consume your life in such a way that you won't help yourself but tell others about Jesus. No fear of man will come upon you. No fear of stepping back will come for you. No curse that was fashioned for you can harm you. The fear of God will come into your life in such a way that you cannot help but talk about Him. This fire of God that would consume 3,000 people on the day because of sin, when it comes to Pentecost, the new covenant, when it comes to this time in the book of Acts, as God poured out His Spirit, according to what Joel had prophesied, and God poured out His Spirit, and we saw the thunderings. We saw the wind enter the room. We read in the Bible that tongues of fire set upon them. They spilled out into the streets, speaking in other languages. And those who had gathered for the Feast of Weeks, those who had gathered for this mighty time of celebration, of harvest, they heard the praises of God. They heard the glories of God. And Peter, who was restored, broken man who denied Jesus in such a way that he all he could do was wish for himself to die. When Jesus restores Peter, that man who was so scared to say that he knew the Nazarene, stood up and said, People, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only 9 a.m. in the morning. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. How could they be drunk? But they are full of the Holy Ghost. And he preaches this amazing sermon. You know what God did? I righted the wrong of Sinai in one instant. 3,000 men came to Christ on that day and was saved. See, the book of the Old Testament teaches us many, many things, but the New Testament teaches us about the redemptive purpose of God. You can't read the old without the new. You cannot go into the old or else you will be caught in it without understanding the Father's heart for your life. And right now, I'd like to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. 3,000 men perished because they worshipped a God that was not Jehovah. God had a covenant promise for this nation and they withdrew. But you see, God puts in 
the voice of the prophet Jeremiah that he's going to write the covenant law upon the hearts of the church. He's going to write the covenant law upon the hearts of those who would call on his name. God then sent his son Jesus Christ into the world. Fully God, fully man. Fully God, fully man. He lived a righteous life. He overcome every obstacle, every temptation and every sin. And he even overcame his own selfish desires by walking to the cross and saying, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus Christ came into this world so that he could pay the price, the ransom for your sin. See, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says, but the gift of God is everlasting life in the Son. Today, I believe, firstly, the fire of God is present to convict our hearts. It's time to stop running. It's time to stop trying to do things our own way. It's time to say, God, I humble myself and I choose your way today. The answer for us is Jesus. The step of faith is only belief. To believe that God would send his son, Jesus, to pay the price upon a cross for us. To confess with our mouth that he is the Lord of all. That on the third day he rose. Believe in our hearts, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you shall be saved, the Bible says. What are you saved from? You're saved from eternal destruction, an eternal punishment, an eternal separation from God, but even more so, it's called an eternal hell. God sent His Son to save every person, man, woman, and child, and today He's lingering in this to say that today He wants to save you. So right across this room, if you would like to be saved today, if you'd like to step into this born-again experience that Jesus talks about, maybe just raise your hands while all the eyes are closed. See, God paid the price for you that you would be set free. Then He gives us the Holy Spirit that we would walk in abundance of that freedom. The last time, if you would like to be saved today, you'd like to come into the fullness of assurance to be able to call God my son, uh, my father, sorry, to be able to say, God, I believe in you. I see that hand down the back. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Will we all stand to our feet? We need to linger a little bit longer, guys. I don't think God's finished doing what he wants to do. I invite the band to come back as I step into the last part of God wants to do today. We pray as a one church. Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves and we come to you. I acknowledge that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thank you for dying upon the cross for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. 
I ask that you forgive me of all of my sins, past, present, and future. I invite you to come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Set me free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You might have thought that was a bit of a jumble today. But it was worth it for one person to realize that Jesus died for them. Yeah? One more thing God wants to do. Because the beauty of fire... is what it consumes. This is an Australian analogy. It works really well in Australia. What it consumes, it prepares a way for the new life. A ravaging bushfire will clear a path, the seeds to be opened up, and the gospel in our lives to be opened. I'm going to ask the team to sing Refiner's Fire for us this morning. Because for the church... On a daily basis, what I want to encourage us to do is for us, God, to consume us in a way that we would put Him first. Can we do that? Can we do that? And I know it's a step of faith to say, God, I want more. It's a step of faith to say, God, would you purge me? It's a step of faith to say, God, by your Holy Spirit, will you come and remove the dross from my life? You know what dross is, don't you? And the refiner's fire comes... When the refiner's consuming of that element, whether it be gold or silver, for example, as it's melted in the fire, all the dross rises to the top. The dross is the rubbish. It's the stuff that doesn't belong in the pure silver or the pure gold. Holy Spirit wants to make you purified in His presence. He wants to set you apart for Him, and He wants to set you apart for the purposes of the kingdom call of God. There's dross in our life, there's dross in my life that still needs to be consumed. Sometimes, sometimes it's just not doing what God wants me to do. Other times it's blatant and obvious. Sometimes it's just very simple. So if you would have the courage to pray with me again this morning, let us invite the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts. So as the church, may we raise our hands to God this morning and surrender. Holy God, you are a consuming fire. The book of Hebrews teaches us this, book, chapter 12. Do you consume our hearts today in such a way that we, we would all be about your business? you pray in other tongues, would you just begin to pray in the Spirit right now? If you don't, that's okay. Just begin to pray in your own language, whether it be English or whatever's most comfortable to you. Just begin to ask God, God, I want more of you. Would you burn in my life? Would you renew me once again? 
But today I choose not to walk away from the hill. It is called Sinai. Today I choose to come into your presence and to step into the Zion of God. Oh, would you consume our hearts? Would you consume our life? Would you purge us of all unrighteousness? Would you set us free? God, I give you my life. Jesus. As the team, you continue to pray there, guys. Continue to pray. As the team begins to sing, I want to invite those who want a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit this morning to come forward. If you've never received the baptism of the Spirit of God, we want to pray with you today. We're going to pray with you and we're going to believe that the Holy Spirit is going to fill your life and anoint you in such a way you'll never be the same again. But if you just want the touch of God on your life and the fire of God on your life and you want, you want to make a connection point for it today, then come forward. We'll pray with you and everything will be good. Thank you, team. Jesus, we worship you, God. We worship you, God. You 